We Turned Out Okay is a show about children and families. You get to see into the mind of a child development expert, and you'll learn tons about kids and why they do what they do. It's for grown-ups, so it's not always G-rated. But it's almost always PG. And we'll let you know when it's PG-13 or higher. Also, you can expect some rabbit holes and detours. But we return to the topic at hand. Besides, rabbits are awesome. What have you got against rabbits? Anyway, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn about how to stay sane while raising your little kids. Enjoy the show! Come on, guys! We turned out okay. The modern parent's guide to old school parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Hello, and welcome to episode 258 of We Turned Out Okay. This is the show where we're always working to help you change your child's behavior from bad to good, feel happy inside, and truly enjoy the time that you spend with your young child. I am Karen Locke Culp. I am a child development expert. I have a master's degree in early childhood education and a bachelor's degree in human development and family relations. And I'm also a parent coach. I, um, I'm so excited to bring you today's episode because it is, it's actually, it's a rebroadcasting of an episode from really early on in the show. Like this was when we were not even a year in yet. It was originally episode 75 and, uh, it's with this wonderful, uh, dad and, uh, educator and there was just so much that was amazing about this episode. And I, I can't, I can't wait for, for you to get into it. Uh, his name is Eric Wagter. He has a son with autism and it was so severe that when, when his son was, I believe about three, when he was a very young child, his parents were told, um, that he'll never lead a normal life. And, and Eric, along with his wife, Sally, along with this little boy's mom, uh, have helped him just come so far away from that prediction. And, uh, and he really shares a lot about that in this episode. So I do want to say it is an old, I want to give you an old post alert. So there are links that I link to in the original episode that, that, uh, may not work today. So, uh, you know, you can't always rely on things, you know, things, change for people after a couple of years. And it's now been a couple of years since this was on. So um, just before we get into it, I have uh, a couple of what I like to do with these sort of pre-show time is give you a little bit of an idea of what's going on in the We Turned Out Okay universe. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about is the Magic Words for Parents, which is the Facebook Live that I do every Monday at 1030 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in our Facebook group and the YouTube live that I record usually on Thursdays. These are both off for the holidays until January the 7th for the Magic Words for Parents and the 10th of January, which is a Thursday for the YouTube live. Uh, and so that means that these, that this today's post, which is going to be located at we turned out okay.com slash 258 won't have, um, it won't have a YouTube live embed and it won't, uh, have, 
any information on what this this week's magic words for parents is because there isn't one. So, but stop back in a couple of weeks and and we will get to those. Uh, instead of that, what I wanted to do was share. So, so I've been thinking about success stories a lot, and today's episode is a true, true, true success story um, with a huge breakthrough, and in which this this father and educator really takes us through the process of how they help their young child, and I. I wanted to bring it to you because, oh, I guess I wanted to bring it to you again because it's, it's a real success story and it's a very, very special one. And I wanted to share a couple of other success stories from the coaching community, the private coaching community that I uh, run. It's called the Ninja Parenting Community. And I have, we've, we've had quite a few really exciting successes in, in there. And so I just wanted to share uh, two of them. So the first one that I wanted to share about is, if you remember a few months ago now, I did a great conversation. I had a great conversation with my uh, mentor, friend, coworker, colleague, Trisha Tomazo. And I just want to write down that I need to link to that in these show notes. Uh, it was it was an episode called Ask the Child Development Experts, Ask the Experts. And when I recorded that with Trisha, what I did, and you can go back and listen to that. It's, it's going to be located in these notes. Um, what I did was I, in our community, in the, in the Ninja Parenting community, which we call NPC for short, I recorded an extra video um, called Stopping Hitting, Ask the Experts, because one of our moms was having some trouble with her, her child hitting. Uh, her, I, I wrote, I made this video to help one of our moms through a tough time with her just three-year-old and decided that it deserves its own post because what's in here is good advice for any parent whose child hits. So this video is located inside the Ninja Parenting community. And if you've got, if you are already a member, you totally have access to it um, just by going into our forums. And uh, if you would like access to it, you can join by going to weturnedoutokay.com slash join NPC. But so I recorded this video. It, it was really to help this particular mom who's who calls herself in our forums Mama Llama, which I just think is so cute. Um, and in my mind, I have to say this: I, I always think of of her son as Little Llama, <laughs> Mama Llama, Little Llama. Anyway, um, that's just that's just my thought, you know. Uh, anyway, so um, Mama Llama writes, "What a difference this has made." to back off and let him and I can I just say that what a difference this has made has, has is followed by like three exclamation points <laughs> to back off and let him try to do things himself and remind him that if he needs help what he can do about that and I will help with I, what, what I what he can say about that and that I will help him with anything he needs after a few transition days the tensions have dropped significantly and he's happy most of the time to try and do it himself I was nervous he wouldn't want to try it if he had an out, but actually he's trying more and asking when he's tired and frustrated and really needs it. So that's a huge triumph. The hitting is way down. He is proud. I am feeling much better and more prepared and able to handle this. I truly cannot thank you enough. And so that is one success story. I mean, if you can imagine going from being a worried and upset mom of a, of a son who's hitting you when you're trying to help him with things like the potty or getting dressed or getting ready for bed, those kinds of things. <clears throat> Just to know that I could help um, Mama Llama with this 
just made me feel so good. And, and I love sharing success stories. And then the other one I want to share is actually in our, we have a success stories forum in the NPC. And so our Ninja Parenting community member, Jen, wrote, <clears throat> who's got two little girls. They are, I believe, four and six at this point. Um, and I loved the success story because, uh, well, I'll just let, I'll let Jen, I'll, I'll read uh, Jen's words. So, okay. My girls got flu shots last Friday, and I'm sure it's the reason I had extra tired, fussy kids earlier this week. Tuesday was the worst of it, and by the end of that day, I had one kid asleep in the car, and the other was awake and snuggly. I had such a peaceful hour with her. We talked, cooked, and played quiet games. She wanted to take a bath, so I set the bath up and then woke up my car sleeper. She came inside and hugged to my hip while I heated up frozen food for her to eat. We talked and ate together, just the two of us. The kid in the bath was done now and changed herself into pajamas and fell asleep on the couch. I put the awake kid to bed and puttered through my chores. Finally ready to sit down on the couch, I had to move that sleeping kid to her bed so the dog and I would have space to sit together. My favorite memory that from that night was when my oldest exclaimed at this point in a sleepy haze, I want my dinner. You didn't give me dinner. I told her, of course, I would heat up her dinner if she wanted it. Please use the potty and then come downstairs to eat. She asked, while you heat up my food, can I try to go to sleep and see if it works? Aw, honey, of course. She slept for another couple of hours and woke me up at midnight wanting that dinner after all. I gave her a glass of milk and talked with her for 10 minutes in the middle of the night, explaining that she slept through dinner and it would be best to go back to bed and eat the pizza bites in the morning instead. That's exactly what happened. I got to enjoy the evening slowly with one girl at a time. No competing for attention, no screens, just us. It was divine. <clears throat> I will recreate this moment again. I will, sorry, I will recreate this somehow again soon because I loved every minute of it. And um, there's just so much in there that, that I feel like Jen uh, shares that resonates so much with me. Like we we so rarely get these moments with our little kids and, and we want to be able to savor them and enjoy them. And that's why I wanted to share this with you. Um, we are moving into a time of year. I know it's, so actually I should say, Happy New Year. <laughs> if you're listening to this in real time, it is January the 1st and that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm sharing with this, this, I thought of this specifically success story for today, because hopefully we are now heading into a time where things are a little calmer, a little quieter. I remember as a teacher, you'd have this, you'd have this break after just the insanity of starting at Halloween and going all the way through with breakneck speed to Christmas break. And then the kids would come back from Christmas break and they were like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for what today brings. Like there were, there was just so much less drama and, and upset and everything like that. So, uh, I, I thought, I hope that you would enjoy, um, hearing that success story. And, and I also hope for you that you get to have some of this kind of nice, quiet, peaceful one-on-one -on -one time with your kiddos. And, uh, so thank you so much, Mama Llama and Jen for sharing your successes. Uh, I had a, I had a ball sharing them in here and, um, and very soon we will be getting to this third th success story, the one that uh, that today's guest is, is going to bring. I just want to share a couple more things, just a couple more program notes. So first of all, uh, I, have, I have gotten such nice feedback about the book, about 10 Secrets Happy Parents Know, um, the book that I wrote for you if you are wishing that you did have 
happier family time. If you know, if you're, if you sometimes, so in the, in the intro, in the, in the, I guess call it a prologue, but, um, I called it the dirty secret of parenting is how I start my book. Uh, and I, I share about this day when, when our oldest was a baby and he was about five weeks old and I said goodbye to Ben and there was nobody else with me. It was just me and this little baby at home. And I just remember thinking like, what the hell are we going to do now? Oh my God. You know? And, um, like I was so afraid of spending that time with this, with this new creature and there was no one there to help me. And, and, uh, I basically wrote the book for you if you're feeling like that. And as I said, we've gotten some really nice feedback on it. Uh, you can go to we turned out okay.com slash books, or you can click the link in the notes to go to Amazon and, um, and read about the book for yourself. It is available in both ebook format and paperback format. So you got, you got two choices. If you, if you'd prefer to read on a, on a device, or if you'd prefer to get your book and highlight it and mark it up and write in it, that's what I do. Dog ear the pages, all that good kind of stuff. So, um, another program note I wanted to share today at the end of this interview, you will hear me say that my Twitter is stone age techie. So it totally used to be stone age techie, but in the interim I've changed it. I've decided, you know, I'm not that much of a stone age techie anymore. I'm good. So both Instagram and Twitter, my, my, uh, names there are at we turned out. Okay. And that's okay. A Y. So, um, if you want to find me, please come and find me on, you know, on Twitter and say hello. Um, or Instagram. I've been, I've been able to get in both places, frequently i'm i'm happy with the you know amount of time i can spend in each of those places because um they're just fun i i really really enjoy them so so there's that and then i want to share that uh this podcast as you as you could hear at the very beginning of the show uh with with my wonderful husband the 21 time winner of the husband of the year award ben's voice um so eloquently stating it we we this is a long form show it's it's about I want you to be able to look into my mind and understand my thoughts. I really want you to almost hear me thinking. And it it is a long form show though. So it's not a quick listen, right? But I do offer two really concise, quick guides, free guides. If you are having trouble either with uh, handling every temper tantrum or handling potty training, being successful at potty training your young child. So you can actually look right down in whatever podcatcher you're listening to this in. And there's, there are links to uh, both the temper tantrum and the successful potty training free guides. Each of them contains a video and a checklist, a short video and a checklist. It's really concise. So you can, you can take in this information. You can listen to it in just a few minutes, maybe 20 minutes, an hour at the outside. If you read really slowly or you want to process things, and then you can put this into, into action like today. I mean, I really wanted, every time I make a free guide, I want it to be something you can immediately get a quick win from. So, um, so go there for the concise help and, uh, and then come on back here so that you can listen to, uh, the thinking and the, um, the ideas that hopefully will really help you in depth, have a wonderful family, family time. So, uh, thank you so much for, for subscribing. If you subscribe to this podcast, you know, you'll get updates right into your, 
uh, device whenever whenever a new one comes out. And sometimes I do bonus episodes. Plus, it's always just so much fun to to see when you're when you know when a podcast that you really like updates. That's always cool. So um, thank you for for subscribing. Thank you so much for sharing the show. If you share it in your favorite social media channel, you'll hear me say actually today, social media is word of mouth is something that I used to say a lot. And um, that's very true. But even if you share it via email, <laughs> go real old tech, you know, with one friend, somebody who who maybe is is struggling with, with uh, not having a lot of successes, whether their child has autism or not, you know what I mean? Um, I think this could be such a helpful episode for anybody who's worried about their kids. And uh, so, so if you're listening and you, you think of someone who might enjoy it or get something out of it, then please, please, please share it with them. And, and also again, thank you so much for your uh, reviews of the show. They really help have, have helped shape the show to be what it is. And I love to hear from you when you really get something out of it. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. And without further ado, all right, here we go on to the show. guest today is an educator, a parent, and a passionate advocate for kids. Running a business that trains educators, parents, and social support workers, today's guest walks the walk, raising a family that includes a child with autism and fighting for the right to homeschool him in England, a country where homeschoolers do not enjoy the kind of legal protections we do here in the U.S. I'm so excited to bring you today's guest. In fact, it, as we were just talking in the before the uh, before I hit play, before I hit record, my guest told me just uh, all these ways that our conversation could expand out, and I'm super excited to bring him to you. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Eric Wagter. Eric, welcome, Eric. <laughs> Hello, Karen, and, and, and good pronunciation of my last name. That's oh, good. thank you very much. I, I heard you pronounce it before just as we were talking, and I thought I'll never be able to replicate that. You, you said it so beautifully. <laughs> it, it, the, Dutch, the Dutch way, as you probably can hear from my accent, I'm, I'm not English, even though I live in England. Mm -hmm. but the, the Dutch way is Wachter, and the, the English way is sort of Wachter. Wachter. So, Stick to the back. Though. All right. Excellent. Excellent. I, uh, I love the Dutch accent. I, when I was in, uh, I spent six months in Italy when I was in my early 20s. And I got to spend, oh, I don't know, probably five or six days in Amsterdam. And what I loved about the language, which I couldn't understand, you know, I, I'm not, I don't speak Dutch. <laughs> but what I loved about it was it would sound, if you were just listening a little bit, it sounded like English, like the the intonations and some of the accents, some of the pronunciations, it's almost like somebody speaking English that you just can't understand. <laughs> I, I was just about to apologize that I won't be able to speak to you in the most beautiful sort of English accent, but uh, it's going to be a combination of a bit of English and a bit of Dutch. I think. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. And how, uh, like how, how did you come to England? Are you, were you raised in, in Holland and then moved as an adult or have you been no. back and forth? No, I'll, I'll give you the short story. Sure. Um, the first 29 years of my life, I lived uh, in, in, a, in a village uh, or in a city called The Hague. Uh, that's yeah, where the yeah. European court is uh, in, in Europe. Um, and I, I was raised there. And being a real sort of city boy, I, I, I thought I would never, ever leave the city. Um, and then my, my current wife, uh, Sally, mm -hmm. who I've been married to for almost 16 years, mm. uh, at that moment in time, her sister was married to one of my Dutch friends. Mm -hmm. And she came over to visit. Uh, I met her. We kind of started seeing each other a few years later. And um, in the end, I fell in love with the south of England. Uh, the, the beautiful downs and the sea, it is just really stunning here. So other than falling in love with her, I fell in love with the country. 
I just really um, made the decision to to leave leave the Netherlands and and start a new life here, and that happened in November 1999. Wow, that sounds lovely. And uh, so, south of England is that I'm trying like is that where the cliffs of Dover are? Am I, am I in the right? Well, that is more the uh, the east, the southeast. Mm-hmm. Is. Uh, I mean, if if you sort of go down the middle uh, all the way to the south coast. Mm-hmm. You have like two places that you might know, which is Brighton, mm-hmm. and you, you might not know that, but if you I look do. at the map, Brighton and Chichester, and we're right there in the middle, uh, a little village uh, in the south coast. Um, it's called Felfham. No one will notice it. <laughs> that's probably that's probably what the people that who live there want, right? <laughs> it's it's beautiful. It's it's two minutes from the sea. It's two minutes from the downs and the forest. So it's uh, my my favorite kind of place. A lot of green. That's what wow. I like. Oh, how wonderful. I I, I think I'm going to have to come visit you. <laughs> You're welcome. It sounds lovely. I, you know, it's funny. I've been reading a lot of Jane Austen recently. I Every winter I kind of go through this. It's time for me to read Jane Austen phase. And so I read like my four or five favorite books of hers. And um, there's Brighton figures in a couple of them. Although okay. we as a as the audience, we never like as her readers, we never go to Brighton. Like she never takes, she'll take us to Bath and uh, mm-hmm. some other places. But, um, but things, you know, events happen in Brighton all the time. And, and so now to have a place to understand that it is in the South of England and kind of know where it is, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Br- Brighton comes the closest to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, it, it really has this sort of different culture uh, than other cities here in England. So it's quite a, a, a multicultural kind of city. Uh, it's nice. It's beautiful. Oh, oh, cool. Well, I'm putting it on my list of places to visit. <laughs> uh, so you and Sally both have teaching backgrounds, right? Uh, I don't have a particularly teaching background, but, but Sally, who um, yeah, she she's been a primary uh, teacher here mm-hmm. for the last oh my goodness, um, I think fifteen, sixteen years. Maybe and primary before. is we would think of that in the yeah, U.S. as elementary. Primary is elementary. It's it's <laughs> four to eleven years old here. Mm-hmm. She has some experience of secondary, which is is eleven plus. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, after her third year, she kind of realized that that full time teaching wasn't really for her. So she became a music specialist uh, teacher. Oh, wonderful! Uh, so her her specialism is in in music. Uh, I arrived in the Nether- in England uh, with a, uh, a Dutch social work qualification, um, and but realizing what it was to be a social worker here, I just wanted to scream and run away. It was just too too much paperwork and not oh. family. So I ended up in a in a, in a boarding school uh, for children with sort of challenging behavior and some learning difficulties. And I I sort of run the residential side of things there. Um, and I did that for a few years uh, until I finally ended up at a, a specialist team in the social services world here, working with families at the, the risk of breakdown um, as a social worker. Wow, that sounds like. A really important job that I, I'm thinking about the way that teachers, the way that social workers are treated here in the U.S., which is <clears throat> yeah. don't get an awful lot of respect. And no. um, they are the, you know, especially uh, and teachers, it's bad enough. You know, I, I was a teacher for quite a while before I became a parent. And the teachers are sort of supposed to assume responsibility for everything. Anything that goes wrong in a child's life, it's, you know, it's the teacher's fault if the teacher had only seen this out of the other thing. And 
Um, and I mean, I don't I don't mean to say that in a complaining way. I think that it, t- it does take parents and teachers to work together for the, you know, for the children's kind of best interest. But as I think about it, I think especially I live in Massachusetts and there have been some terrible, terrible things that have happened in some families who mm-hmm. happen to be in the state's care, like, you know, being seen by social workers. And, and the social workers are just being dragged through the absolute mud and there's there's nowhere near enough of them. And they don't mm-hmm. have the kind of tools or training that that is really necessary to catch some of these big problems and and you just feel I feel so much sympathy for those social workers you know and I'm wondering what's it like what is it like in England what's it you know as a social worker do you get the same kind of bad rap or is it is it better <laughs> you know I, I think I, I see it from both sides um, I, I think over the many years the whole social care system what we have done is we have co- conditioned families to expect that social care will will solve their problems uh, we haven't trained or educated families uh, about uh, that we, we need to give them ownership of their situation so uh, yeah we are expecting or the families are expecting that social workers will do everything and anything mm-hmm. uh, to solve their problems uh, including teachers you know I, I feel sorry for anyone who's married to a teacher i've been there myself and you know, as a teacher, you are a, a social worker, a carer, a nurse, a, a teacher. You are so many roles when you're within your classroom, so that the stress levels are very high. But the coming back to the sort of how parents or how families see social workers, I think what is the most um, challenging about the situation is that when things go wrong, uh, you know, social workers can do things really well for many, many, many years, and they just have to make one mistake. Uh, that really causes some serious problems and and yeah they can lose their job because yeah. of that and that causes real stress among social workers and uh, it's it's not i think people who are doing the social work job are people who are truly passionate about it otherwise it's not the kind of role that you would voluntarily choose for i think yes i agree with you yeah and it's so it does sound very similar to <clears throat> kind of the way it is here mm-hmm. and you do get the feeling that like if you choose so- social work as a profession you're sort of waiting for a bomb to go off <laughs> all yeah. the time it's uh yeah. i i admire people who do that i i um i think it's a really important job you know we we need to be able to help families that need help and uh and as you say teachers are the same thing only they they are nurturers they are caregivers they are educators they are uh, you know they they've got so many different roles absolutely and yeah. uh and I mean, I guess that brings up a broader question, which I, I'm somewhat fascinated by the way other cultures bring up kids. Mm. And I'm wondering if in uh, in England, so I guess I'll start with here. Here we have this hysteria almost about like danger around every corner and predators and kidnappers. And I'm just wondering, I mean, at least where you live uh, in England, is it is it like that or is it is it a little bit more relaxed? I... I, the, the funny thing is I haven't been in the school system for quite a few years, as we'll probably talk about a bit later, but uh, quite a few years ago we, we've taken our oldest out of the education system. But if I read the newspapers, uh, and things go absolutely crazy here that children are not allowed to play with, uh, what do you call these things? Um uh, acorns, we call them. Um, I don't they're know not called, you... they're not able to play with acorns? You mean the, the seeds of oak trees? Yes, whereby when... when when they there's this game whereby you you throw them against each other. Yeah. Uh, and a while ago there was an article in the paper whereby they actually said they stopped children from playing uh, with these uh, 
things because it's too, too dangerous. Uh, simple things like uh, certain trees are not allowed on the playground because some of these acorns might fall out of the tree on top of the children. Oh, you're kidding me! It's 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 things like that, and and I I do have to say, as you know, my oldest is diagnosed with autism, and uh, we have noticed the the bureaucracy or what's the word and. Uh, the, the rules that there are, there are so many rules, so many rules that, that even that makes it really difficult for the teachers and the educational system to really function well because there are so many rules that stops them from doing what is right for the children because yeah. the law tells you otherwise. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not the one to advise them on that because I don't know what is the right way forward, but there there are too many rules at this moment as I see it. Oh, I agree with you. I, I mean, that makes me think of things like here... Um... Uh, two, it makes me think of two different kind of factors. One is that a lot of schools, elementary schools, schools for really young children, like say kindergartens, are yeah. banning any form of touching. Like as in a teacher yeah. cannot put a hand on a child's shoulder. No one yeah. can hug. There's no, and, and it's done to kind of, okay, well, mm-hmm. if kids are going to punch each other or if, if there's a risk of some kind of abuse, you know, on, on the part of an adult to a child, well, we have yeah. to stop all touching. And it's like, no, the, the people need... <laughs> People need physical contact, and I mean again, just to, just to bring up my son uh, when he was in um, the elementary uh, school, um, what he really needed was uh, touching, what was hugs, intimacy, yeah. safety, security. Yes, and they were saying, "I'm sorry, we're not allowed to do that," um, uh-huh. and I mean it's so wrong. Yeah. Uh, but it is the law and they have to stick to the law. So, I mean, that is just one of the many reasons why we are extremely happy with the sort of choices that we've made regarding home education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just to, just thinking about the other aspect of <clears throat> kind of where parenting or, or where judging about parents has gone completely off the rails, at least here, is this idea that like children under pick your age, I guess, under 13 sometimes or mm-hmm. whatever, can't be, they can't walk alone. You know, they can't go to a park by themselves or ride their bikes alone. Um, there have been, there have been cases where people have been, parents mm-hmm. have been charged with a crime for letting their, I think it was 11 year old and like eight year old mm-hmm. walk to soccer practice through a safe secured for, through their own neighborhood. Mm. And they've been, the parents have been arrested and charged with neglect, really? with, with, uh, with neglect. It's, it's insane. I mean, you can't. How do you mm. raise responsible adults if you never allow them to yeah. to go out and test their their abilities? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the the last thing that I came across here was a thirteen year old child that wanted to walk his dog alone. He wanted to uh, really take on the responsibility to do that, but um, his his mother was a police officer, and she told me that it was not allowed for a, a teenager. Oh my uh, god to walk the dog because if something would happen and there was no adult there, then, uh, uh, yeah, the family wow. would be responsible. So, wow. Yeah. wow, wow, wow. And kids have bar mitzvahs at 13. I mean, they're considered adults in some yeah. some cultures. Wow. Anyway, um, so I'm wondering how did this kind of, it sounds like it's a very similar attitude that we have over here. It, you know, the two cultures are very similar in their uh, ideals about raising children right now and in, in kind of the same fears. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, how did that affect you and Sally as you raised your family? Ooh, uh, well, when we first started our family, we, we got married in 2000 and we thought, yeah, we're going to at some point have children. So in, in 2002, the, the first one, Tim, was born. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we thought it was all reasonably normal. Um, let me think. 
around the age of two and a half, um, he was diagnosed mm-hmm. with autism. And that is where we started to experience. And, and the funny thing is, is that uh, uh, it was not really funny, but the, uh, the interesting aspect is, is that Sally was a teacher working in the system. I was a social worker working in the system. And here is where we started to discover that when your child has bronchitis or the flu, you can take him to the doctor and they do something for you uh, and they help you. When your child is diagnosed with autism, there isn't a lot within the system that uh, offers you the support that you need. Basically, there's hardly any uh, thing. You, your, your next page of your book, let's say if your life is a book and your next page is the new chapter of your life, it's totally empty. There's nothing written in it that tells you how to go forward. So what, what we have learned, you know, if I have to summarize uh, the many years that we've walked with Tim in the, in the journey, and I'm happy to expand a little bit further, mm-hmm. is that when he was diagnosed, we were told that he, uh, he, he would not speak or the chances are that he would never speak, that oh. he would make friends, that he would not go to an independent school, will get married, uh, live independently, and all that sort of fun stuff that they need to tell you at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So as, as a parent, you, you go and search and you go on a journey. And what we have learned is, first of all, you, what, what we see a lot of parents do is you hand your child over to the, to the, the state system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hope that uh, they, with uh, all their experience, will, will sort you out, will help you. And you quite soon start to discover that there isn't much support. And so as a parent, you, you, you end up fighting the system. Uh, I mean, if I have to summarize the, the last... 13 years of the last 10 years of, of Tim's life with us is that mostly us fighting the system, the educational system uh, to, to get what we actually need for Tim. And um, that had actually made us decide uh, when he was about eight years old for the first time to, to take him out of, uh, out of school. Um, the system. Yeah. I mean, the, the system was there is that he had, uh, he was eight years old and he was um, still at a three year old level, uh, uh, developmental wise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he had four teaching assistants who were all saying to us that he was not reachable they couldn't reach him they couldn't teach him uh, he, he couldn't manage the whole sensory overload at school so we decided to take him out uh, wow. at school of eight uh, but you know just for your listeners to, um, the, the, the end of the story now him being 13 if you would meet him now uh, you, you, you would hardly notice that he is on the spectrum wow uh, Oh my like, goodness, that, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. A There's a lot to share between when we took him out the first time and where we are now. Um, uh, I, I'd even I'd even break in and interrupt to just to ask you to go back. What um, what led to his diagnosis? Like what as in, in terms of as parents, what what were you seeing that caused you to think, hmm, something's wrong? Okay, uh, well, of if you course, don't, I mean, if you don't mind, I feel like I, I don't want to press. I'm a, you know, I'm an open book. No uh, good. <laughs> Uh, let me um, it's just just so much so much information yeah um what we started to notice is that uh well first of all he at the beginning of his first four months it was almost like his body was almost very stressed he had very much uh, colicky pain mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and a little bit more nor- than the normal ch- uh, children um, but after sort of four months that slightly disappeared and he started to develop reasonably normal he was walking at the age of 11 months um, and he started to trying to say a few first words, mm-hmm. uh, and and at some point it is really interesting. It was like he made the decision to um, 
Well, something happened with him, and and just to let you know for your listeners, he did not receive the uh, uh, the injections. Oh, he no, he got no vaccines. Okay, yeah, no, no vaccines. Uh, <laughs> so th- there was a real change from one day to the other, whereby he, it was like he disappeared in his own sort of world. He refused to eat. Um, and he started to, uh, well, if I have to describe his sort of behaviors at that time, uh, to line things up, uh, he started to, mm-hmm. he was very good at taking a tissue and te- tearing off really tiny, thin uh, strips of it and do that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, he started to uh, have six books in a row uh, next to each other, pretending sort of to read them, but making up all sorts of babble talk uh, so, so he, he was really locked up in his own sort of world uh, mm-hmm. and it was very difficult to reach him. And so when he went through the, the child development center here and, and all sorts of tests, they discovered around the age of two and a half, sort of three years old, that he was diagnosed with, uh, uh, with autism, basically. Wow. I just, I can't imagine what that was like for you. I just... Well, I, I've asked myself the same question because it, it feels a long time ago now. How was that like for me? And... At that time, um, I, I think, you know, and this is possibly interesting for your listeners, uh, is men and, and, and women, we, we respond differently to these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in our case, and the more I speak to families, I, I see the same thing happening. But in my case, I, me, the man, I was in denial yeah. for a long period. Um, uh, I just kept saying that if he doesn't speak at the age of four, then I'm going to take it serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but my wife was first of all panicking. Yeah. Uh, then she was grieving, grieving the child that she, well, what well, that wasn't there that she was hoping for. Yeah. Um, and and I think this is what men do a lot is that when we see our wives unhappy, um, we, we we struggle with that and we we, we kind of want to fix that. And and I think that's why we end up sort of in denial and talking about no, it's you know we'll wait and see and stuff like that. So, yeah. So my wife and mother-in-law became very proactive in researching uh, every little thing. And I think possibly about 18 months or so that that I came on board uh, and, and, and started to take it more serious uh, mm-hmm. than that. It's not that I didn't take it serious. It was more that I, I just really struggled with seeing my wife uh, feeling sad and unhappy yeah. and, and kind of in a place where I couldn't uh, well, yeah. work her so yeah yeah so it's almost like you had to each work through it in your own ways absolutely yeah and uh well it's a really it's wonderful to hear that you that you found a way to work together and uh and that you realize so what happened so you say at at age eight he was he was developmentally a three-year-old is that in terms of like language or be, uh, just more general behavior well, when when they tested him at school, uh, I think test shows that he was level wise. He was still at a three, four year old, uh, but he couldn't basically. If he, if if I would, we would always organize a friend to come and play. If they would sit in the back of the car, he he could. I, I had to be a translator because Tim could not uh, say proper sentences to to his friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we always had to help out there. Uh, but that was at the age. Just to to give you a little bit of a backstory, is that uh, up until the age of eight. What we've always done is that we've done part-time school mm-hmm. and part-time uh, trying to, to work with him at home. Mm-hmm. And, and to start with, in the beginning of the, 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 our journey, we started something which is quite popular, I think, in America, but it, it's called ABA, Applied yeah. Behavior Analysis. Yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar for, with it. For us, that, that didn't work. 
And was, uh, just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what, yeah. so applied behavioral analysis for someone who isn't a teacher or, or a social yeah. worker, can you, can you give a quick description of, of ABA? Oh, man, you should talk. <laughs> That's really hard to give a quick description, right? Well, you should talk to my wife because, you know, she's so passionate about it. She's writing a book about it and uh, about our journey. And she knows ABA inside out as she studied it to explain it to people. But what I understand, uh, and anyone listening that knows a better explanation, I apologize to you. Mm. But our experience was is that uh, a child has to follow certain instructions. So... Uh, and, and and I apologize for what I'm going to say next, but some people compare it to a bit like dog training. Yeah, uh, yeah. You condition a child, you reward a child for uh, doing the right thing, uh, and and you uh, don't reward the child for doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And, uh, if you do that often enough, uh, the child will at some point start to do it. What we started to see is that we wanted a child that would want to react from a natural place, a natural desire. Mm-hmm and not from a conditioned desire so that when he grows up that he doesn't say hello to you because that's what he's conditioned to yeah, do so. Yeah, it's not like because a bell rang, he knows what to do or say. It, 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 you know, I'm thinking yes. of Pavlov's dogs with the, you know, the bell would ring and they'd yeah. all, they'd know, they'd start salivating because they knew it was dinner time or something. Absolutely. So. We, we wanted to, to really get to know the child uh, and, and to learn from the child about their world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and for the child to become the teacher about their life. Uh, I mean, I will go on to that. That's kind of the next phase. I mean, we, we've done ABA for quite a few months. Uh, and and then we discovered that that didn't work for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that it, uh, it should not work for other people. It was, you know, I'm a firm believer that you should try anything. And if it works, do more of it. Yeah, and if it doesn't yeah. work, come up with a new strategy. Yeah. So finally, in the end, we, we, we found something also from America. It's called uh, the, the, the Sunrise. Um, and the Sunrise uh, is, is a method whereby... Uh, would you like me to explain it a little I bit? Would. I would. This is one I haven't heard of. So yes, please. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, first of all, if anyone wants to know anything about the Sunrise, go to uh, www.son-rise, R-I-S-E. Uh, S-E-E, sorry, R-I-S-E dot org. Uh, I mean, that will take you to the website. But if, if I explain it in a nutshell, I think it's the most beautiful, uh, loving program ever. Uh, it is time intensive. It takes a huge effort. But the thing is, if you want to expect big things in life, you got to take big action. And so we, at some point, uh, one of our family members saw an advert in the paper saying, have you heard of the problem autism? Now hear about the solution. And we went to this, uh, this, this uh, what was it, a conference or mm-hmm. someone speaking about this. Yeah. And we fell in love with it. Uh, w- what we did, uh, we signed up for it. We, uh, we got 10 days training from them and it was all funded by a charity. Uh, wow. And the, the thing what we did in our house was that we created what we call a, a playroom. And in the playroom, uh, we have shelves up high on the wall, uh, and it's created in such a way that we call it like a yes room. You know, in life, we have to tell our children so many times, no, don't do this, don't do that, no, no, no. Um, And when you do that, it can put some stress into the child. Mm -hmm. And so this room was a yes room. Oh, I love that term, (laughs) a yes room. Yeah, and he, he couldn't do anything. So within the door, we had like a mirror built so that we could look from the outside inwards uh, and we could see what was going on uh, but what happened in the room is that 
uh, you join your child uh, in, in what your child is doing. So if your child, uh, th this is the difference between ABA. The ABA uh, stops the autistic behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, within the sunrise, we use the autistic behaviors to create connection. And so we go into the room, and if the child is spinning plates, uh, we start spinning plates as well. If the child is lining things up, we start, uh, start to line things up. But we, we, we don't just do that. What we're trying to do is, while we're doing it, the aim there is, is to create connection. And I remember doing this with Tim, and the first two weeks, kind of, you know, we just were there in the room doing what he was doing, mm -hmm. and he was just sort of locked up in his world. But at some point, there was this, this look at him uh, from him to me, and, and I remember saying, oh, thank you for looking and really kind of what they call lighting up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. Creating contact. And long story short, the child educates you about their world. And at some point, you, with your reaction, you become the most exciting thing for them in the room. And that is the moment whereby the child starts to allow you a little bit, a little bit uh, at a time to educate him about your world. Um, I mean, wow. that... That's what we've done with a whole bunch of volunteers um, for many years as a, a sort of part-time. And at the age of eight, we uh, we went full-time. And, and just to give you the story that uh, at the age of eight, still being a free four-year-old in many areas, mm -hmm. in 18 months of one-to-one -one work with him, we discovered that he is highly intelligent. Uh, and, you know, when a child is is no longer at school, the stress leaves the body. Yes. <laughs> and, lear and learning opens up uh, as you have experienced yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just for listeners, so. my son is, uh, it, we pulled Max out of school when he was a second grader and and we did we so he had been he'd been experiencing things like weight loss and um he lost 20 percent of his body weight in first grade he he had night terrors like every night that were just they were worse than nightmares they were the most horrible things and and uh he was diagnosed with migraine at age six and it was all school stress it was all like the academic demands that were placed on him were far too much for him and when we pulled him out he immediately got better i mean like one night worth of knowing he didn't have to go to school the next day made him made him so so much better so so yeah. uh, sorry go ahead uh, uh, Eric I, I was just thinking that uh, the first 18 months uh, of that uh, since he was eight years old that we took him out the first 18 months we had to fund it ourselves and mm -hmm. uh, but then after 18 months uh, a uh, educational psychologist came around to to test him basically and they couldn't believe the progress because he was actually in many uh, areas he was at his peer level and so in 18 months of that approach he just turned out to be really highly intelligent and and capable to learn as long as he was given the right approach and the right method wow i, uh, I have to tell you i've got goosebumps right now just thinking about the this change that you were able to bring about with tim okay. if you would meet him now i mean i tell you when people go to uh, to the uh, we've created a family website and i think you're going to give at the end to this website but in case people want to just write it down now it's inspiring solutions for autism.com uh, we've we've put on some testimonials there from professionals and people who have known him since he was little and so who have seen him and some e person even described him as like a wild animal and then she describes him how she, how he is now and it's just absolutely incredible the, the the message of change that his life has opened up and you know so I, I very much am a believer of parent power where parents take ownership uh, of their journey you know I believe that parents are the expert of their family of their children. And and sometimes you gotta take big steps. Like we we took him out, not knowing where the money would come from or how we would do it. 
but it was much better put but, our energy yeah. into, into that than into the system fighting the system just, and just knowing that it would be best for him really Absolutely. I, yep. I have a question for you that I've just been thinking about as you've been talking. Do you know yeah. the story of Helen Keller? Have you ever heard of Helen Keller? No. Okay. No. So that, this is Helen Keller is a kind of American hero. Um, mm -hmm. And she was born into a very wealthy family back in probably maybe 1850, 1900, something like that, somewhere in that 25 or 50 years towards the end of the 1800s. And she was she, when she was a year old she got a fever she contracted a fever and she ended up becoming blind and deaf at age 1 and her family lost complete control of her they could not reach her in any way and so she was this wild child who went sort of went through nannies and governesses like every couple of months the you know the latest one would quit because she just they, she could not she was completely unruly she could not be tamed i guess mm -hmm. i don't like mm -hmm. that word but in in this case i think it suits and then um a woman came to her as her nanny named Annie Sullivan. I think she was maybe eight, eight or 10, something like that. And Annie Sullivan decided to try something different. And what she did was she she started spelling words. She basically made up an alphabet of signs for mm -hmm. like for each letter. Either she made it up or she, she had already known it. I, I don't remember which, but... So each letter has its own sign. And as Helen was wandering the, the grounds or the dining room or, or wherever she was in the, in the house or, or at their home, Annie was right there with mm -hmm. her, taking her hand and giving her signs. So if she was playing uh, with, with a tree, Annie would spell the word T-R-E-E -E into her hand. And there was this mm -hmm. one moment, this is like a pivotal moment that everybody knows about over here. I'm, I'm sure everybody listening from the U.S. Is, is nodding their heads. There's this moment where Helen is using their water pump and she's got one hand in the water coming out of the water pump. And Annie spells into her hand, water, W-A-T-E-R. And Helen kind of mm -hmm. stops and she gives that, you know, where you were describing Tim lighting up like a Christmas tree, this look of understanding yeah. comes across her face. And she, she sort of shakes her hand at Annie and she wants that word again. So then uh, Annie gives it to her again and, and she just comprehends that what is going over her hand is called water. And then she started, mm -hmm. she, she was grabbing rocks and she was grabbing, you know, clothes. And she asked Annie, what's her, well, who is she? And, and Annie described herself as teacher. Mm -hmm. So Helen, all of her life called Annie teacher. And so mm -hmm. she's able to communicate like there's a there's a way in you know there's a, sort of a way to communicate with her and, th and that she can communicate and and Helen Keller and Annie they 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 stayed together I think all of their lives they they sort of Annie raised Helen and then the two of them uh I feel like they worked with the Perkins School for yep. the Blind and they just they you know they they went on to uh, actually it's funny you don't hear an awful lot about Helen Keller as a grown-up because she became a socialist and <laughs> People don't like that here. They don't like to hear about, you know, their heroes going off and becoming socialists. But I think so in her words, socialism, I don't know her exact words, but she would describe socialism as a way for, you know, everybody to live in harmony and be safe and be and be together. Mm. And um, anyway, so I, I just felt like there were so many similarities between this woman who's blind and deaf, this child who's who's literally blind and deaf, and and with your son who wasn't physically blind or deaf, but who you needed to find a way in to him. Absolutely, he was locked in his own world, and uh, we could not have people coming to the house. We couldn't go to the park. We couldn't go shopping. Uh, you know, we couldn't go to church. We, 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 there was no place where we could go because he he couldn't manage uh, wow. everything. And and I have to tell you because. Um, 
the, 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 I mean, I, I can talk for hours about this topic. Um, <laughs> um, after the sunrise, or not after, during while we were doing the sunrise uh, program, um, which basically we consider to be a, a way of living. It's not just let's do a program. It's a, mm. a really change of lifestyle, of your own attitude and how you think about life and, um, you know, to become stronger as a parent. Um, but there was another thing because lots of children with autism have got sensory overload issues. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes them stressed and therefore they, they can't access learning or they can't access social uh, situations. Mm-hmm. And we found out about this organization in London called the Sound Learning Center, uh, where they have uh, what they call auditory integration therapy. And and this was so interesting. What they discovered is that uh, a lot of children with autism, their inner ear is not as developed like your and mine inner ear. Our inner ear has the ability to filter things out. And with a child with autism, their inner ear is not developed as such, and therefore, Every bit of sound that comes into the ear comes in uh, at, at full sound, uh, wow. and so that we didn't know that. Uh, and, and what they can do, and the same thing is for your eyes. Also, their eyes, uh, there's a possibility that they are slightly differently developed. And so they did. When we took him there for a ten-day therapy session, um, and, and it was quite an adventure uh, because Trevor, uh, at that time he didn't do that well. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, and every morning. He had to sit for half an hour with headphones on, listening to uh, music that had certain sound waves through them, uh, or they took out certain uh, uh, tones so that the, they created the pattern. Well, it's too uh, too complicated for me uh, as a non-specialist to explain it, but while they were listening, what actually happens is that the inner ear is over a period of 10 days by listening to these uh, uh, sort of sound waves and stuff like that is restored to its most closed uh, possible um, way, like your mind. Wow, fascinating! The same thing happened with the eyes. Uh, he had to be for twenty minutes in the morning and in the afternoon looking into something that was shooting uh, uh, lights at him, light colors at him, um, and they could see. I tell you, the child that I took to London to that sound learning center. Uh, was a highly stressed child. We couldn't play the piano, we couldn't play the guitar, we couldn't talk, we couldn't hum or sing or do anything. And after the 10 days, people around us didn't recognize the child because the sensory overload issues were almost gone. We could play again, we could sing, we could talk, um, and and it just opens up his whole world. And And how old was he when you went there? uh, He was actually eight years old, and that That was was one of the was one of the reasons talking about what we talked about before how the system doesn't understand you or can work against you the school that he was in refused to give him time off to actually go to this uh therapy oh my goodness uh, yeah <laughs> oh, come so, on therefore we decided to take him out uh well not only therefore that was one of the reasons because we we had to give him what uh, what well, well, we had to experience, if, ex- experiment to see if it would work, and it was a life changer, an absolute life changer for him. Wow. Uh, so yeah, if you talk about the three things that made a massive difference in his life, was the sunrise method, uh, the sound learning, or the auditory integration, and the other one was uh, biomedical uh, input in his life, the whole sort of uh, supplement uh, side, to to sort of heal up his inner body, heal up his guts, his gut. Yeah, so uh, supplements in terms of vitamins or or yeah, oil, oil, probiotics, uh, that kind of stuff. Yes, all, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say that I um, I'm going to link to Sunrise Sun Rise dot org in the show notes, everybody. So if you if you're more interested in that, you know, you can you can 
you can go right there. You'll be able to find that. And I'm also going to link to say again. Sorry. There, there are lots and lots of videos, free videos on how to work with your child. How, you know, you Wonderful. don't have to wait for uh, days and months uh, before you can actually start you helping start. your child. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. And then the other place I'm going to make sure to link to is InspiringSolutionsForAutism.com, Eric's family site about uh, about autism, basically, and and how. Yeah, I, there's, and... there's not a huge amount on there, but what is on there is our story and some testimonials uh, about about our life. Cool. Yeah. I, I personally, I cannot wait. I'm going to go there, I think, as soon as we finish talking because it sounds fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And I guess I want to shift a little bit from, yep. um, you know, from kind of what we have been talking about to uh, to your, you, I understand, have kind of an expertise in conflict resolution, right? Well, conflict resolution is, is, is a side thing. Um, I, I think... What, okay, let me think. When I studied, no, not when I studied, when I was working as a social worker, I in, in the six years that I was in a specific team, I specialized in something called solution-focused brief therapy, which is, is a, a method of working with families whereby you, you don't tell them what to do, but through becoming an expert in knowing which questions to ask them, you help them to take ownership of their journey. Okay. Uh, and of their solution uh, so that uh, by the end of the journey they are empowered and they have the skills to 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 go forward themselves and they don't have to return to you for for further support all right uh, so that is what i specialized in to begin with uh, and um, just to let you know that in two it was january 2010 when we took timmy out of school mm-hmm. when i decided to leave that team because i needed to be more flexible and that is where my sort of training career started that's where i started my own business in uh, training family support workers social workers people in education um, and people in uh, who, who deal with uh, the, the youth offending uh, justice system, uh, basically anyone working with with parents, with teenagers, with children. Um, I started to train them in the solution focused uh, approach of working, conflict resolution. Um, particularly, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in right now. That is my main interest in is helping families, give them tools, and empower them how to make relationships work because. Uh, well, as everyone who has a family knows that uh, there are so many challenges within relationships, you know, how you deal as partners with each other, uh, different approaches, different way of thinking, um, conflict with your children. Um, I mean, I, I can talk for hours about that. <laughs> well, actually, all right. So let me interrupt you right there because yeah. I, I do. I have a question. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you this next question and then I'm going to yeah. ask you to think on it while I share a message from today's sponsor. Okay. And the question is, it really gets into this. I'm wondering how parents can improve their relationships with their young children. So I'm talking probably four, five, maybe six and under. So how parents can improve their relationships with their young children. Like, I, I, I know it's a huge topic. And what I'm hoping is that you can choose one aspect of it that we can kind of dive into just after I'm done with today's sponsor. So how parents can improve their relationships with their young kids. All right. You ready? Are you going to think on it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. This episode of We Turned Out Okay is brought to you by Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics, key tools to handle every temper tantrum, keep your cool, and enjoy life with your young child. The book I recently wrote and published by the time this, is, this, this episode is out, it's written and published for you. If you struggle with getting your child to do what you want her to do instead of what she wants to do, if each time your child has a meltdown, you want to have one right alongside... 
If you need some concrete tools so that you can use them immediately right in the tough moments, then Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics is for you. It's available as an ebook in Amazon right now. Search for it at amazon.com or easier still, just click the link provided in these show notes and it will be immediately delivered to your chosen e-reading device. You'll have it right nearby whenever you need some support to keep your sanity intact while raising your young child. And so I think you should head over to Amazon and read all about it. And thanks. And now back to the show. Okay, so Eric, how can parents improve their relationships with their young children? I feel like this is such an important topic. Oh, and I could go in so many different directions. (laughs) Um, You know, when I work with parents, I I have a question because, uh, because often parents... If I ask them, what is it that you would like to achieve from working with me? And if I work with parents with small children or older children, they often tell me what it is that they no longer want to see. They, they will tell me, I want them to stop fighting or I want them to stop doing that. And what they do not know in, to start with is what it actually is that they do want. So your question, could you repeat your question again? How can parents of young children improve their relationship with their children? Okay, I, I think... To start with, parents need to have clarity about what it is that they want, if, if they would have a really good relationship with their child. Mm-hmm. In other words, not what they don't want, but what yeah. they actually want. So, so what, what is it that they, what will that look like? They need to start to create a picture of what will that look like regarding the way I communicate to them? What will that look like the way I spend quality time with them? Um, and, and so they need to create a picture of what it would look like for them to have a positive uh, relationship or a better relationship with the children. Um, and, and once you have clarity on that, there is one thing that I always do myself, uh, and it, I, I call it the pause button. You know, as, as soon as your child does something that maybe triggers you or winds you up or anything like that, is I, I managed to press the pause button before I, I respond. And I ask myself, is, is how I'm going to respond get to get me closer to my ultimate outcome, what I want? Mm-hmm. Is it going to get me closer to the, the picture that I've created? If it is, then I'm going to say, let's do it. And, but if it isn't, I have to take responsibility for it. And I have to think of a new strategy or a new way how I'm going to respond to it. That, that is definitely one thing. Uh, as long as you keep the end in mind, Mm-hmm. Uh, at the front of your thinking, uh, that, that that is really important. But there is also one thing that I say is that, uh, and, and uh, Sally and I, my wife, we keep saying it to each other. In however we're going to respond, what we truly want first is we want to keep the relationship. You know, often we see parents sometimes respond to their children uh, in a way that they sort of cut off the relationship. You know, I'm I'm not going to talk to you for a little bit. Oh uh, yeah. And, and as soon as you, you, you make that disconnection with the child, you use the opportunity to influence your child. And so therefore, we, we kind of have said that, you know, relationship first. We, we do anything, uh, you know, we, we might not choose the moment when things something, anything happens to, to respond then. Uh, but we wait till we're in, in a better place uh, to actually uh, respond to, to it. Uh, so keep, keep the relationship connected. Keep the relationship first. Um celebrate trying I, I i you know the the whole everything that i've learned in the autism journey uh, can be totally used in any typical child mm-hmm. uh, lighting up like a christmas tree uh when a child tries something uh you know and celebrate that with them uh, is is a, a massive thing 
um, become interested in your child's interest. Don't think, uh, you know, having a nice time playing with what what they're doing. If you truly want to have a better relationship, become as uh, interested as your child in, in that particular topic. Become a child again. Play alongside them. Um, celebrate the connection that you've got with them because the, the deeper you create that connection with your child, the more chance you have that you can influence your child in, in, in the, their decision making in the future. Uh, I'm uh, just I'm smiling over here because uh, earlier this morning, my kids. So as homeschoolers, we we can the kids can sleep really late, which is great because I can get a lot of work done in the morning. Yeah. And um, I my oldest no sorry my oldest is actually still asleep as we're talking right now. <laughs> um but the earlier my my youngest got up a little earlier than usual this morning and I went upstairs just you know to say good morning and see if I could uh find out what he was planning to eat for breakfast and kind of just have a little conversation with him and we yesterday he and I set up we cleared our dining room table and we set up a ping pong we have like this portable ping pong basically it's a net that you can put on any table and a couple of paddles and a ball And I knew I needed to come back down here in like five minutes. And my son looks at me and he says, you know, can we, I wish we could play ping pong today. That was what he said. I wish we could play ping pong today. And I said, you know what? I've got five minutes. Let's play ping pong right now. And he just, he lit up. He was like, really? (laughs) So we're playing ping pong this morning. And I, I think ping pong maybe isn't on my top. 10 list of ways to spend your time but it sure is on his and and if I want to have a relationship with my son then I I mean then I love ping pong too basically was what happened and absolutely uh, there's one one more tiny thing I'd like to share Mm -hmm. which which, whenever I share it with parents or when I do training they find it really helpful it's a very simple uh, metaphor Uh, and it it is uh, it, it is where you have a farmer uh, who uh, I call it the sowing and reaping uh, sort of method, uh, where uh, if a farmer wants to uh, have the harv- uh, for the harvest to be carrots, uh, which kind of seeds does he need to sow? And the answer, of course, is he needs to sow carrot seeds. And then uh, also when the the time where he goes and nurture the land, he, he needs to nurture the land to to ensure that he has the best possible uh, carrots coming out. Um, and so when, what I sometimes do with parents and I create a diagram and a picture whereby I make the, the farmer becomes the parent and the land becomes the child and, and the, the harvest becomes the outcome of what they want. And if the outcome what they want is, for example, to have a really good relationship with their children, uh, then they have to ask themselves, you know, if, if me, the farmer, what kind of seeds do I need to start sowing into my child's life to actually uh, make sure that the... Uh, the heart well I, I get the outcome that I want I get the harvest that I want and also if you then start talking about nurturing the land I mean what is it that I need to do as a parent uh, in the in-between time when I start sowing the seeds um, and, and, and often what I call the glue uh, that that makes everything work and that is consistency is that when you start something that you actually follow through with that and you keep doing it and the more you do it uh, you you will get the harvest in the yeah, end yeah. that you want, and it's another way of getting making parents sort of see that they are personally responsible for uh, you know what the harvest is going to be yeah. because they are sowing continuously into their child's life. I love that. I mean, I I think I can take that into my life. One you you had mentioned that things that work with an autistic child also work with typical children, and I think in the same way things that work with young children also work with 
big kids, like with teenagers, sometimes even me, like as I was writing this book, uh, uh, Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics, uh, a mom wrote to ask, listen, my kids are a little older. They're like eight and 10. Is this still going to be useful for me? And I said, I mean, I sometimes my my family can use these tactics on me <laughs> if I'm forgetting myself, you know, sometimes we still use them. Like there's my, one of my favorite ones is... Um, is making no sound like yes. You were talking, I was thinking about this before because you were talking about Tim's yes room where yeah. everything that he might want to do is is encouraged, is, is supported, yeah. right? And um, like we say no so many times. I've read, uh, there's a great book by Jeff Olson called The Slight Edge, which is about how to make habits, mm-hmm. how to take your habits and make them give you the goals that you have in life. And uh, it just takes a little bit every day. And, and he says that by the time a person is five years old, we have heard 40,000 no's mm. and just 5,000 yeses. That's like a ratio of eight no's to one yes. Yeah. And I started thinking, like, how can I how can I make it so that they hear more yeses? And basically, one of the one of my favorite tactics is to say, if if they say something to which the answer is obviously no, you know, can I have an ice cream sundae for dinner? Right. <laughs> I will say, yes, you can have an ice cream sundae after dinner or tomorrow or next week or whenever, you know, insert the right time so that they're not hearing no, they're hearing yes, but in the future kind of a thing. Absolutely. Can can I share an interesting tactic with you? Oh, I would love that. In fact, I was just going to say our time is short. So perhaps um, this interesting tactic could be kind of what we go out on. Would that be all right? That will be fine. I love that idea. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, a lot of parents wonder, how can I get my child to, to do what I want them to do? Um, and, and because they're, they're not listening to me. And, and this is uh, the, the example that I'm going to give you has to do with a slightly older child, like a, a 14, 15 year old teenager. And this is a, a real situation that I had with a, with a mother. The, the mother, uh, the mother's son wanted to go out in the evening with his mates and he wanted to be home late. And of course, the, the mother who was uh, concerned uh, about the child, she really wanted him to be at home in time. And, and this is the interesting thing is that when mothers are getting concerned, I'm saying mothers, it could be fathers uh-huh, as well. Parents, yeah. Uh, when parents are getting concerned, uh, there are a variety of ways of, that we could deal with them. And, and But often uh, we, we become slightly controlling. Mm-hmm. And so we, we say to them, I want you to text me at 11 o'clock at night when you leave. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And, and that way, I mean, the parent does that because they love the child, but how, how do you think the child sees that? The child sees that because um, uh, they see that as nagging. Yeah, uh, really controlling. Controlling. Uh, and so often they will rebel and, and they, they, they won't do it because they don't own it. And I remember working with this woman and, and she was actually on one of my training uh, courses. And I was going to see her again a few weeks later. And I said, I suggested to her, I said, why don't you go to him and say to him, you know, I really would like you to go out with your mates because, you know, I've been one uh, young ones and, and I think you should do that. You should have fun. Uh, and you know that I love you and I want you to be safe. And is there anything that you think that you can do that would help me to feel safe? Oh, that is a great tactic. It puts and, the power in his hands, right? And I think we can do that with any age. Uh, we, 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 instead of telling the child, and this would be my bit of advice that I would love to give to your listeners. Mm-hmm. If you want your child to do something, don't tell them what to do, but think of a question that you can ask them so that they can take ownership. And if they come up with the uh, idea or the solution, then 
they own it. Yeah. Uh, and you just have to ask better questions if they don't come up with the right idea. You just yeah. come up with a different question. So, yeah, oh, it's I really love powerful. that idea. That is, that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And I can see it working in my life. I mean, because mm. when you give, when you, when you, when I would say to them, ah, uh, you know, I need, like, it's about what I need oftentimes, but like, we, we have to empty the dishwasher so that we have, you know, we have a place to put the dirty dishes. Can you help me figure out a way that we can make this happen? A lot of times kids will be like, oh, sure I can. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of saying you have to do this because that just makes them go, no, I don't. You know, you're not going to make me kind of a thing. Nobody likes to be made. It's almost, do you think of it? It's almost a way of showing some respect, I think, to your kids. Do you, do you see it that way? hundred percent, hundred percent. I, I think, uh, but by, by giving them ownership, you 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 make them you give them responsibility, mm-hmm. and, and you respect uh, their their choices and 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 their life and yeah. their space. Um, you know, as soon as I mean, with any child, and I think us grown ups, we're, we're we're just like children, only a bit older. Mm-hmm. You know, tell, tell an, an adult what to do, and and there's a high chance that they won't follow through either. So it, it is all about instead of telling someone what to do, is to come up with the right question so that they can. Uh, come up with the, the answer and the solution themselves. Mm, you know, I I, I want to end on this, even though it's got to do with an adult. I have a dear, dear friend who is in her 70s, and she's she's quite overweight. She's probably 300 pounds, something like that. And her doctor, who she's had a relationship for many years, like a, a, a doctor-patient relationship, um, recently said to her, she might, you know what, she might be closer to 250 pounds. But anyway, her doctor mm-hmm. said to her, if you don't lose 20 pounds, I am ordering you to lose 20 pounds. You need mm. to do this. Otherwise, you know, you're in big, big trouble kind of a thing. And and this dear friend reacted with, I hear you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost feel like the, the doctor could have said something so different and so much better. The doctor could have said, how can we work on this together? Like, what can we do? You know, don't 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 you see that? Do you see that, Eric? Am I... A hundred percent. I could see the doctor ask, you know, for you to have the best possible support plan in place to help you make this decision, uh, what would that look like? And first discover that. Get the get the person to think about what will that support look like for me to, to come to the place where I feel comfortable enough to say yes to that. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it just made my blood boil, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so uh, listeners, in order to have a better relationship with your child, which is ultimately what we want, isn't it? I mean, we want to have good, we want to, there's so much more to life when we, when we are saying yes instead of no, when we are sharing thoughts and feelings, when we're, when we're getting help from our kids. Because if you give kids the chance, if you say to them, can you, can you help me figure this out? They oftentimes will come up with, with fantastic solutions and and i think if we do that then we end up with grown-ups who mm-hmm. if they're if they become doctors know how to move their patients knew know how to motivate them to do what's best for them so so you know it, it just in case you have a child who grows up into a doctor everybody listening um yeah. you want to teach them this so that when they're helping other patients they have you know they have uh they have the right the right method karen before you say goodbye can i say one more tiny more, absolutely more... please please yes, yes. Is, is, is if there's anyone listening and, and if you have any questions around behavior with your child, uh, I would like to encourage you just to send me an email to the email address that Karen is going to give you at the end of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love you to email me to describe your situation and I would love to, to, to give you some feedback. 
Oh, I love that idea. And actually, you know what, Eric, what might be a great thing is um, I'd love to have you back on the show. And maybe we can even, if people email you and get in touch yep. with, with their questions, we can maybe even come on and talk about it again. That would be fun. Um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd really, really love that. Uh, I, I can't believe how quickly this has gone by. Ooh. Eric, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, so very much. I, I'm I'm really like I, I there were parts of this conversation where I was really tearing up. I, I'm so so pleased to hear about like the kind of successes that you and Sally have had with with mm. Tim and and just knowing that you know how to teach people how to have successes like that. Just mm. Uh, mm. you know, it makes me really really happy. Thank you for doing what you do. It's wonderful. Um, everybody, if you have a question for Eric or if you want to connect with him, you can go to this following address. Eric, E-R-I-K, so Eric underscore Wagter, W-A-G-T-E-R, at hotmail.com. That's how you can reach him personally if you if you have a story to share or you have a question about behavior or uh, you know, situations like that. You could also go to solutionfocused.co.uk, which is Eric's, that's, that's where Eric's business about you know the training of parents and social support workers. That's where uh, you can find information about that. And finally, well, I did already mention it, but I'm going to bring it up again uh, for Eric and Sally's website about uh, the the story of their family and their son with autism. You can go to inspiringsolutionsforautism.com. Lots of wonderful ways to get in touch with Eric. And when you do, uh, I just know that you'll you'll enjoy conversing with him so anyway to connect with me uh you can go to my contact page which is we turned out okay.com slash contact you can find me on twitter at stone age techie because that is my level of of uh expertise in technology i'm a stone age techie uh or you can find me on instagram at we turned out okay and if you got something from today's show, I, I really hope you'll share it. I think that social media is today's word of mouth. It's how people find our show. It's how people connect with each other, how parents can help parents. So please share uh, if you got something of value from this show. Share it in your social media. Maybe email it to a friend. Uh, find a way to get the word out because that's how this show gains more listeners and, and it's how more people get help. So thank you again so much for listening today. I appreciate just I can't even tell you how much that you take the time to listen to Eric and me today and that you listen all the time. And finally, I have a special thanks to our producer, the man who helps me resolve conflicts all the time, the 18-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want a date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. Theater, 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 theater,